0: Uh, read the scripts today together and first I will speak in uh, read in Chinese uh, Luke four uh, verse uh, fourteen uh yesu Mayo sung in the 就是他长大的地方 在安息日, 将那受压制的得自由耶稣对他们说那时以色列中有许多寡妇 let Let's uh, read in English now. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of spirit, and the news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogue, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up and, to read the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and it, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and the recovery of sight for the bride, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of Lord's favor. Then he rolled up scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue was were fastened on him, and he began to sing to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious word that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. Joseph said to them, surely you you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself, do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. I tell you the truth, he continued. No prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them but to a widow of Sabrephat in the region of Sidon. And uh, there were many in Israel with uh, leprosy in the time of Elisha, the prophet. Yet not one of, the, none, one of them was cleansed, only Naman in Israel. All the people in the synagogue were uh, furious. When they heard this, they got up, drove him out of town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Thank you.
1: Morning. morning. Hey CCC, how are we doing today? Very good, yeah? How was your week this last week? Was it okay? Turn to your neighbor next to you and say, my week was, well, however it was. <laughs> Awesome. Okay, well, I don't know about you guys. I'm not there to hear it. I'd love to hear about your week after, but my week was pretty phenomenal, pretty off the charts, and I wanted to share that with you uh, by way of leading into what we're going to be reading today, but also by way of explanation why, unfortunately, today we don't have a PowerPoint behind us, but we can still have the power of the Holy Ghost. Yes? Sorry, my wife told me I shouldn't just stay away from humor, just avoid the humor. (laughs) So I'll try to follow what she tells me. I try as much as I can anyway. Um, So if you were here last week, you remember we reading through the book of Luke, particularly chapter 4. We're working our way through that. Uh, I would just throw it out there that it would be really, really great if you were able to read the passage that we're going to talk about beforehand, because this helps you to have time to think about it, to let it soak into your soul, and whatever questions you might have or things that you think about or come up, they might be answered in the sermon, they might be something that you want to talk about, just just putting that out there to go and do that. So, this last week, I got the privilege and honor to go to a particular part of Thailand where I've never been before. There's a, a stretch of Thailand that is referred to by some people as the last frontier. It's about 250 kilometers of virgin jungle between Sanklapuri uh in Kanchanaburi and Da in uh, yeah, central northern Thailand. And there's no roads, there's definitely no cell phone, there's no radio signal even, so you're pretty much on your own. Uh, There's a group of three schools there in the jungle that have been asking uh, us for help for the last three years. So finally, time came for us to be able to go and pay them a visit. Uh, Thankfully, last year, Prateep, one of the royal family, built not a road, it's like a just they kind of widened the buffalo track through the jungle so that you can drive in a four-wheel drive for about five months out of the year until the rainy season kicks in and that's it. If you're stuck in there, you're stuck in there for good. So as you can imagine, that was quite an adventure. It's about six hours drive to saint clapp and then we got into a four-wheel drive and that was another six to seven hours to get to the village and as we got closer to the village we could see that they had people had put big boulders in the road and there was logs across the road and so we were asking the our, our four-wheel drive driver our friend what's going on and he was muttering under his breath and he's like oh, he'll find out you'll find out so finally we get to the village and the whole village had turned out to Greet us, and there was a lot of emotion, and it wasn't all good emotion. In fact, a lot of it was really bad emotion, and they were quite angry and quite upset. And as it turned out, uh, the village or the, the district chief for that area had imposed an unofficial toll for the village people so that anyone using the road to leave the jungle, which is the only way out, had to pay money out of the little money that they had to pass, to go in and to come out. And so obviously, they were very upset about this, and this is the first chance that they had to voice their opinion. And so finally, after they had simmered down, they kind of turned to me as the first foreigner who'd ever been to this village, and said, oh, what do you think, Galawa? Galawa is Karin for Falang, foreigner. What do you think, Galawa? So, I was like, okay, I'd spent a fair bit of time bouncing around this four-wheel drive thinking and praying about today and the sermon. And so, I was like, okay, well, let's, let's open the Bible and let's see what the Bible has to say. And so, I read to them from the passage that was read by Jesus in the synagogue, which says, as you all know, "...the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor." He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And thankfully, our uh, trusty four-wheel drive driver translated it into Corinne. And I, I love you guys. I love my CCC church family. But your reaction to the scripture just now was pretty lame. Compared to the people there, I mean, they were hollering, and they were shouting, and they're like, this is amazing. Why hadn't everyone or anyone ever told us about this before? Thankfully, uh, our friend who drove us there, he had been brought up in a Christian orphanage. So he was like, okay, guys, simmer down, pipe down. We're not talking about revolution. We're not talking about overthrowing the district chief. The, the things that Jesus is bringing is things of the Spirit. And, and so they're like, whoa. That's like, okay, can you just tell us plainly what does that mean for us? Because it's talking about a lot of stuff, and it sounds awesome, but what does it mean? And he's like, listen, it's really simple. It means he's come to bring you hope. And they're like, whoa, that is Awesome. That is the best thing we ever heard. No one's ever brought us anything, much less hope. We want to we wanna hear more about this guy, Thra, Thra Yesu. Thra means like Sir or Lord Yesu. So we spent the next couple of days just talking to people in their home at the school. There's uh, three schools in the jungle where they have, uh, one of the schools has about, 60 kids living in a cow shed because they have to walk very far so they have to live at the school to get an education so Lord willing by his grace we're going to build a dormitory there for them to uh, to live but also as a chance for us to share the gospel with the people there so that they can get the same hope that you and me have through Jesus and through his coming so I mean the It's very clear for them, and I think it also should be very clear for us, that we live in a world without hope. All you have to do is turn on the news or look at what's going on in the world, and it's a sad, screwed up, messed up place that we live in. Evil people run rampant and control the world that we live in. Corruption injustice is pretty much left, right, and center. There are people in our church who are here because they have escaped from where they come from because of their faith and because they're looking for a better place to stay. So there's injustice everywhere, but through Jesus, through the message he has for us, we have that hope in him. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for coming thank you for fulfilling the words of the prophet Isaiah. Please open our eyes now as we read your word and dive into what you have for us in this message. Help us to treat it with the honor and the respect that it deserves. Help us to have the same amount of enthusiasm and excitement as the people of Bangsuk had when they read the word of God for the first time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Alright, I hope you have your Bibles, or in many cases your phone, so you can follow along. Let's dive right into the book of Luke, chapter 4, verse 14, where we're going to be kicking off. Alright, so, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. All right, so what had happened just before this? Where did we leave off last week? Jesus was tempted. He did the right thing. Obviously, he obeyed his father. He didn't yield to the temptation of the enemy, and so he was ready for the ministry that the Lord had him. He was full of God's power, which was obviously evident to the people there. Um, Now, just as a little interesting sidebar for people who are interested in these sort of things, there is no mention in the Old Testament of synagogues. Why is that? That's because the people in the Old Testament, they used to go and worship at the temple. That was the place that they came together to worship God. Unfortunately, as we all know, the temple got burned down. Or the temple the Israelites were removed from the promised land and were taken into captivity, and so then they started meeting together, which became the synagogues of those days. So but the, the point I want you to remember and to think about is the last bit. When it says, And everyone praised him. What was the opinion? This is awesome. This is great. We love his teaching. We love what he's saying. Everyone is praising him. Let's put a pin in that and come back to it. All right, so moving right on through the end of uh, the verse. It says, He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Wow, that's a lot to process right there. I want you to just to stop for a minute and picture. Think about if you were there in that synagogue, watching Jesus, the Son of God, read a prophecy about himself. To you. How amazing, how wonderful, how powerful that must have been. Filled with God's Spirit. Just boom, reading that exact passage. Now, we believe in Jesus based on faith, based on the faith that God has given us. However, God also understands the human form. We are weak. We are fallible. We are not perfect. And a lot of people need help. Faith doesn't come instantaneously or automatically. So one of the things that God does for us, because he knows the human form, he knows who we are, is he fills the Bible with amazing stuff that we can use to go back and to read and to see what he says. There are prophecies throughout the entire Bible, both Old and New Testament. There are dozens of prophecies, very, very specific prophecies in the Old Testament regarding Jesus. Let's, let's just read a few. I just picked a couple because there are so many to choose from. All right. Uh, so, one of the prophecies was that Jesus would be rejected even though he came as the Son of Man. He would be rejected. If we read in the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, verse 3, it says, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. John 1:11 says, He came unto his own and his own received him not. Luke twenty three eighteen says and they cried out all at once saying away with this man and release unto us Barabbas now there are big picture prophecies there are also very specific very detailed prophecies as well and and sometimes it's almost like God is showing off not in a bad way but he's like hey I'm not just speaking in generalities. I'm speaking in specifics just to show that he is indeed God and Lord. For example, this is one of my favorites, all right? If you read Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. John twelve thirteen fourteen 14 answers that nicely. It says, They took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that comes in the name of the Lord. And Jesus, when he had found a young ass, sat thereon, as it is written, that's amazing. Like, of all the things he could refer to, he specifically describes how Jesus is going to come in for his triumphal entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Uh, do we have any geeks in the house? One geek, okay. Any geeks who are willing to admit that they're geeks? Ah. <laughs> um, anyone who likes math? I'm not going to get into all the details here. I'll throw it out there. You can go back and fact-check me and see what it says and that it is correct. I had so much fun. I actually spent a lot of my preparing time one day doing this mathematical equation. But if you want to calculate when Jesus was supposed to come, read Daniel chapter 9, verse 25. It says, So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree... To restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks of years and 62 weeks of years. Mathematicians, go. Go back home, check it, do the math. It checks out. It's incredible. From when they gave the order to rebuild till when Jesus came back in on Palm Sunday, it is exactly correct. So that's, that's what God does. He... He put stuff in there just to show us, yes, you believe, yes, you have faith, but it's also all throughout his word, the prophecies, not only of the first coming, but the second coming. Even historical stuff is amazing that is prophesied about before it happened that is validated by history. All right, but sorry, we're kind of getting a little bit off the beaten path. We'll come back to what we're supposed to be talking about. All right, so again, we're reading the Bible not as a historical guide or as an important document, but as the Word of God, right? What is, what is the prophet Isaiah talking about in the verse that we just read? He's talking about salvation. He's talking about the good news. But he's also talking about the transformation that we undergo when we believe in him and put on the new man that Paul talks about. Let's read it again in that light. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So what does that mean for you and me? By his coming, he showed his sovereignty and his power. Now the people that hear these words, the Jews in the synagogue, had been studying the Old Testament all of their lives. Right, they, they memorized books of the Bible, of the Old Testament, for fun. All right, They knew it backwards and forwards and inside out. But when Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, who was predicted and prophesied about all throughout, the entire Old Testament comes and sits there and reads that scripture to them and makes it real easy and says, yeah, guys, it's me. Do they get it? H- how? How did that happen? I mean, you start out the beginning of the verse where they are inspired and they are in awe of his teaching and who he is and they're all, they're all full of it. And then you get to this point. Now, How does that happen? How could they have missed something that wasn't hidden? It wasn't spoken in a parable. It was announced to all the people present. Now, I'll tell you why. And the reason I know is because I am guilty many times of the exact same thing that they were guilty of. When the people of the village of Bangsuk heard the gospel, they took what they heard and immediately translated it into what they thought it meant, into what they were looking for. Because a lot of people look at the Lord as like a, an ATM God. You go, you put in your request, you pull the lever, and out comes the answer to your prayer. Well, that's not the way it works. God is God. He is sovereign. He is holy. He has a perfect plan. Whether or not that's the same as your plan is definitely not guaranteed. And it's definitely not what they... Because the people of Israel, they had a preconceived idea. This is what they thought. They thought he would be coming in at the head of an army to free them from slavery, from the Romans. And this is their vision. And Jesus was not that by any means. And so all of a sudden, no, they can't handle it. And there's no way that they can accept what that is. They set up a formula they are expecting of him, and when he didn't meet that criteria, they went ahead and dismissed him out of hand. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You see, we come to the Lord many times with our requests and our prayers and are disheartened when the things that we pray for go unanswered. Our faith wavers. We grow weary. We lose faith. We wonder why God isn't answering our prayers. Let me put it to you that maybe the problem doesn't lie so much with God as with us, who try to shoehorn him into our preconceived ideas and plans and goals, and ask him basically to be a rubber stamp of approval to what we feel is God's will for us in our life? As I'm sure you've already finding out, I've already found out, or are finding out, that just doesn't work out. As any time we're trying to lead, we're going to find out that we just don't have what it takes. That's why it's so vital in our lives to not put God in a box and have a preconceived notion of where you want him to take you and what you want him to do with you. That's why the Lord's Prayer says, Thy kingdom done, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The one illustration that just really painted a perfect mental picture for me that I heard one time is in regards to something that, especially married couples, can relate to. Do we have any married couples in the house? (laughs) Now, you learn so much being married. It's awesome. Now, one of the great symbols of control, and I'm not talking about the TV remote here, but I'm talking about the person who is sitting in the driver's seat of the car. There's this newlywed couple that I knew and and the husband was talking to me and he's like, yeah, we got a real great system. My wife can give me all the directions that she wants as long as I drive and can go anywhere I want. And I'm like, yeah, see how that works out for you, buddy. Not such a good idea. But the illustration is that we need to not be willing to listen to advice and listen to directions from God But we need to get ourselves out of the driver's seat and ask him to drive. Because that's surrender. You really have no control if you're not driving. You might not like the direction the driver is taking you. You might have a lot to say, but there's nothing you can do. As a passenger, you have to sit and go where he is taking you. And that's what we need to do. That's what I need to do in my life is to let him drive and stop trying to be the driver and just surrender and say, okay, I get it, you drive, I ride. Even Jesus, the Son of God, had to learn this lesson. Jesus said in Luke 22, Father, if you are willing, take this cup away from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Even Jesus Christ had to submit to the will of his Father, which we are so thankful for, because it is through that submitting on the cross that we receive the gift of eternal life. So, the question that I have to ask of you, because all of this cannot just be words and nice stories, it has to be real and it has to be about things that God is doing in my life and in your life. And that question is what is it that you have in your life right now, today? that you need to surrender, that you need to say, uncle, that you need to turn over to the Lord. Maybe you know right off the top of your head without having to think about, maybe you don't. Either way, I would encourage you to go back and to take some time tonight or today before you go to sleep to surrender whatever it is that you don't want to surrender to the Lord and to leave it up to him so that he can be the Lord and the Savior of your life. Please do that. All right, let's get back to the scripture. Let's get back to what's happening here and see how the people that were listening reacted to his message. Verse 22. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? They asked. All right, so you kind of have to read into it a little bit as to what's going on. This is not... A good thing. All right, he just finished saying he is the son of God. He fulfilled the prophecies that were written in the Old Testament now. And, and what do they say? What's their thing? They're like, yeah. Isn't that Joe's son? Not that they didn't recognize him, but what they're saying is, yeah, he sees that boy from over there, and now he's saying he's the son of God. <laughs> That's a good one. What a bunch of. We're in church, so. so this is this is the King of Kings we're talking about. This is our Lord, our Savior, and then they're they're at first they're like, hmm, "That's funny, you're funny. We know who you are. You're Joe's son, right?" And unfortunately for them, it gets a whole lot worse. And, and this particular passage, this verse is really great. If you ever have friends who talk to you or who say that Jesus was a great teacher, he was a great philosopher, he was a great person, uh-uh, that doesn't cut it. Please go and read this verse to them because that's not that verse but the verse before. That's not what he's saying. And again, I have to come back to one of my favorite C.S. Lewis Quotes. Any C.S. Lewis fans in the house? Yeah, absolutely. What does C.S. Lewis have to say about this? He said, "I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about here. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher." He would either be a raving lunatic on the level with the man who calls himself a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else he's a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit on him and call him a demon, or you can fall at his feet and worship him and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open for us. He did not intend to. We're getting to the fun part. Verse 23. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, Do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, "No prophet is accepted in his hometown. For those of you who have tried to witness to, be a testimony to your relatives and close friends. I can assure you, it's a pretty tough crowd. It's it's not easy going. Okay, you might be able to share the gospel with a lot of people, but it takes a miracle of God for your immediate family members to believe." through the things you said. Why? They know who you are. They have a hard time getting past the screen of, oh yeah, I remember what he did in the sixth grade and that happened when he was growing up and that's all they can think about instead of God's word and the things that he's saying. So it's tough and that's what Jesus was saying. So they were looking for a sign and that's what they also talked about. They said... Yeah, come on, Jesus. Are you going to do some miracles? We heard about what you did in other places. Do some miracles, Jesus. And that's what Jesus was saying that they were thinking. Now, Jesus lays into them. Jesus says, so if we keep going, right? Verse 24. Truly, I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. 25. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel... In Elijah's time, when the sky was shut for three and a half years, and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath, in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All right, so we, we read this two examples that Jesus gave. Elijah, Elijah. Widow of Zarephath, Naaman. What does that cause the people who were listening to him to do? Verse 28, all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way what on earth? I mean, you have to think about it because how do we go from Jesus is a great guy, everyone loves him, we love to hear what he says, to I am ready to drag you through the city and throw you off a cliff because I am so angry at what you said to me. So what is it in the examples that we just read that drove the people completely bonkers and completely nuts? Let's break it down and see what it is that Jesus talked about that caused that reaction. What? Who are the people that got healed in both of these examples that we read just now? They were Gentiles. Let's take it a step further. The widow of Zarephath was a woman. She was a widow. She was a Gentile. Naaman was a Gentile. He was a leper. These are the worst of the worst of worst of society. I mean, there's quotes you can go back and read in the the Talmud where they say that the only thing Gentiles are good for is they make great kindling for the fires of hell. Gentiles were so far down. They were like beneath contemplating. Women in society in those particular era and days were, were again, second-class citizens. Widows also was not a positive connotation. Someone with leprosy was not allowed in the town. Anyone who had even the remotest contact with them had to become ceremonially cleaned through the ceremonies that they would go through because they had contact with that. So what is it? that Jesus is saying through using these two illustrations. He's saying that a Gentile who believes is greater than an Israelite who does not believe and accept Christ. That it is. That is what caused them to go completely and totally bonkers and want to kill him. I mean, if you go back and you read each of those stories. We don't have time here. I would advise you, I'd ask you to please go back and read each of those as well. What did they do? If you go into the stories, they heard, they believed, they obeyed, and once they obeyed, God did the miracle. So there was obedience. There was belief. All these things are part of that. Augustine, he speaks about some people who, like these people, They love the truth when it enlightens them, when it makes them feel good. They hate the truth when it exposes them. Jesus gets up and preaches a sermon. Was it the truth? Absolutely. Did they like it? Absolutely not. Then he said that unbelieving Gentiles will receive Christ's favor. They hate the truth when it exposes them. And if we go on to some of the things that Jesus later calls... Some of the people, like the ones in the synagogue, it's pretty intense. There's a pretty intense language going on in there. Now, what does that have to do with us and our life in the here, in the now? Jesus Christ comes to shine the light of truth onto our lives because he is not just a religious teacher or a great moral leader, he's the son of the living God. He comes to speak the truth and, like it talks about in Isaiah, to break the bondages that exist in all of our lives. Now, not only that, he challenges us to believe. What are we to believe in, in his word and his promise and what that means for us today? What does he command us to do to take up our cross daily and follow him? What does he ask us to do? To surrender our will to him, our preconceived notions, and give our all to him. As he says in the Lord's Prayer, his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. For those of you in your life who have something that you're struggling with, that you're having difficulty understanding or accepting, or even just making sense of it, I would encourage you right, near, right here, right now, to take that and put it on the altar. Give it up to him who came to set, for, set us free from the bondage of sin and trust in his love and his plan for your life. Whatever it is that you're stressing about, whatever it is that's weighing you down in your heart, give it to him. Surrender it to him. Get out of the driver's seat and give him full and complete control. And you will find the joy that comes in acknowledging his lordship, and kingship over your life and over mine. Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much once again as we celebrated communion today for coming, for the sacrifice you made, for your kingship, for your sovereignty, for how you are Lord and ruler of all. Lord, I pray that you help us to recognize that in our lives. Help us to react like the widow of Zarephath, like Naaman, to obey, to believe what you say, and not like the children of Israel who rejected because did not fit what they thought. Whatever it is that is your will for us in our lives, help us to yield, help us to accept, and help us to turn our lives in its entirety over to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.